Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know, I, I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities, and I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company, and if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is don't go gently. They are my favorite cowboy boot, and they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they're innovative on comfort, style, and service. They have Western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over $100. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today's episode, we're talking to Caroline Paul about uh, adventure as you get older. I think a lot of us think that you know, our, our window of adventure is after college or before school, a gap year of some sort, before kids or after retirement. Uh, you know what we're going to learn through this conversation is that life is long. You know that my, my wife always says her grandfather used to say, "If I'd have known how to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself." You know, I, I think a lot of us just assume life is short, and if we didn't get into it, you know, years ago, we can't do it now. But that is definitely untrue. A big theme of this show is trying things as you get older, trying new things, trying new adventure sports, trying new experiences. A lot of the people we've had on this show did not find the thing they're known for now until much later in life. And it's so beneficial to be adventurous later in your years. And so this this story with Caroline is about her pursuit of answering that question and finding those people, those women specifically, who are doing amazing things later in life and the benefits and, and the science behind it. Her book about this topic and the interviews is called Tough Broad, and it's out tomorrow. And it, you, you'll be able to get it anywhere you get books. And what's cool is that Caroline is a uh, New York Times bestselling author, but also an incredible adventurer herself. She was a career firefighter in San Francisco, only, I think, the 15th firefighter to ever be hired, a woman firefighter to ever be hired by the city, and uh, just has done some incredible stuff. First descends down whitewater rapids, a lot of firsts, a lot of big adventures, a lot of mountain bike stuff, and just all, all kinds of Really cool things all around the world. She's a pilot. She's done crazy stuff like wing walking. It, it, you know, there's so much. She's extremely adventurous. And so it was cool to hear her perspective and also her seeking out other stories. So uh, I highly recommend the book. And let's go ahead and dive into this story. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today's episode is, uh, I'm really excited. This is a, a really interesting premise of a book, and 
Uh, but today we're talking about Tough Broad with uh, Caroline Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mason. I'm really happy to be on. Awesome. Yeah. Where, where are you joining us today? San Francisco, California. All right. That, that's where you spent your career as a firefighter, too. Yes. I'm not a native San Franciscan. The native San Franciscans need me to say that. But I've been here about 40 years since college. 40 years. Yeah. I mean, when do you when do you become a local? You know what I mean? Is it 20 years? Is it 10? Never. Nope. Nope. Never. Nope. No chance. <laughs> You're not a local. <laughs> I'm sure, there's not many, I'm sure. Not many local native San Franciscans, I guess. I worked with many of them in the fire department. There are many. Oh, but they wow. introduced themselves by generation. I'm a fifth generation. I'm a fourth generation. <laughs> you think firefighting is uh, one of those things that attracts natives to san francisco it's almost one of those careers that has more than something else does i think that um that there was a there's a lot of lineage in the san francisco fire department so it's because it's very old school so back in the you know like fifth certainly 50 years ago really only locals applied to local jobs um and i don't know if it was a mandate well you used to have to live in the city so you know they already lived there they often applied when they as soon as they could 18 or so and uh yeah it was just um passed on from in that era father to son and now father to daughter to daughter to daughter it's pretty cool mother to daughter that that's cool we recently had a a san francisco cop on career cop and and he third generation and so that i mean that's the only example i have and funny enough that was kind of a a family thing um interesting i probably more so in that than than like the, the the tech industry probably not a whole lot of generational lineage there yet generation what i want to kind of ask about i've got my notes over here tell us about kind of how you became a so tough yourself uh you know you didn't grow up and you're from new england but I know you have a twin sister that, that took a different path in life. I know you all kind of took a different path, but you got a brother that, that works a lot in this world and firefighting and whatnot. What were some of those early experiences in adventure and just being tough and being kind of taking the, the road less traveled? Did it start there or did you kind of discover it on your own? Well, I think it started there, but unconsciously, because neither of my parents were outdoors people per se. Um, but, you know, back then, I, uh, my twin and I were born in 1963. I'm 60. So we were raised in that era of free range parenting, where they basically said, get on your bikes and be back by dark. And even at dark, they forgot about us often. Uh, and we're like, where are the kids? Uh, and that was kind of how we were raised. And we spent a lot of time in the country. Um, I consider my hometown to be a tiny rural town in Connecticut where that's what we did. We swam the lake, we biked, we got on our skateboards to go to the local school. We skateboarded to school four miles. Um, And so that was, and my twin and I always embraced adventure. We just loved that. Uh, We were steeped in National Geographics. Those came to our um, house and we had them all lined up on the bookshelves like everyone did back then, those yellow spines. And I read every single one of them and was just intrigued by this idea of having a life of adventure from a very early age. How about your siblings? Were you unique in that or were they also similar? Well, my twin sister is totally a badass. Like she's an incredible swimmer. She can swim. She swims 11 mile races, 11 miles. She's usually like one of two people who finish only about 10 usually start because that takes like nine or 10 hours. She's incredibly, she's just made of iron in a lot of ways, but she did take a different path. She's an actress. She's Mm -hmm. well known as um, being on Baywatch for many years. And so most people recognize our face, Uh, but we, and so we joke because we are identical twins. Um, I think we look different based on our life, lives, lifestyle, but um, because I became a firefighter, but she was a rescuer on TV. So I was like, I'm a rescuer in real life and she's a rescuer on TV. And we sort of followed similar paths that way. But I would say that neither of my, my brother and my sister both outdoors a lot, but they're not specifically adventurers per se, hmm. in that they don't think of their life in terms of what's the next possible adventure. And you do. You, you've done so much, so many cool adventures. And I, and I want to know, like, what, what was, you know, those early years of formulating what you wanted to do with your life? Because, you know, I know this book, Tough Rods, is really about 
breaking those stereotypes a lot. Your whole career was that in a lot of ways, and you talked about that a lot. And this is also as you, as you age, like breaking some of those stereotypes. Um, what maybe gave you that confidence in your youth and in your developing your career to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go this direction. I'm going to do something totally different. I think actually, honestly, it's kind of, was kind of being underestimated. I think back then, um, you know, certainly my dad was very conservative, very traditional, but just loved the idea of people that went off and did different things. And I think he, he allowed us, his daughters to, he, he encouraged us to do whatever we wanted or, and sort of, made us think we could but I think it really came from a place of like ah it's just a phase you, you won't really be able to do it whereas my brother I think you know the father-son dynamic is a lot tougher there was a lot expected of him a lot of pressure from my dad so it was an interesting um and I'm also oh let's not mince words I grew up in a very privileged life uh, household so my parents believed in doing as varied a th things as possible so they Early on, we were sledding, we were skating, we were skiing, and they didn't do it because they thought it would improve our character or be something that we would do in our lives. They did it because they wanted us to be simply well-rounded. There was no none of this idea of like, oh, if you practice bravery when you're a kid, you'll be brave as an adult. There was none of that. There was, I don't even think there was a vocabulary for that. Uh, but we turned out to be, I turned out to be, frankly, well-rounded in the outdoors. I think my role model was this mountain climber who probably your listeners all know called Dave Brashears, who was a film first a mountain climber and then sort of used his skills as a climber to become a filmmaker. And I modeled my idea of my own future on that idea that you could sort of be good in a specific niche outside. And then people would want you to go out there and do in his case, film. In my case, I thought maybe I would be a journalist or a documentary filmmaker. I was, so that's really the track that I was on. When I went to college, I uh, thought I, I studied communications, had my sights on kind of journalism, documentary filmmaking, like I said. And then, but then I was radically derailed, became a firefighter, which actually did the same thing. I was paid for having adventures. And I'm so grateful that I had those 14 years in the San Francisco Fire Department and 14 incredibly high adrenaline uh, years. So, so is it really high adrenaline, like in the sense of, cause I know a lot of things might look like that on the outside, but really it's like, no, nah, it's a lot of waiting around and cleaning stuff. Like, like I, I work for a brewery, funny enough, out of Connecticut and all the brewers are like, we're really just glorified cleaners. Like that's all we do. And uh, we pour some hops into the barrels every once in a while, but really we just spend 90% of our time cleaning equipment. What was, it was firefighting like that? Well, when I first got in, of course, all the old timers were like, ah, oh, kid, <laughs> it's not like the old days. And it was 1989. And in fact, you know, the truth was that it's true that building, building codes had not yet upgraded here in San Francisco. And I think the real estate was not yet as valuable. So people were still burning down their own hotels, uh, their SROs, or their own single family residences for insurance and... <laughs> Holy cow. Well, we're still drinking and smoking. And that was a big one. I went to a lot of big fires where we found a body in an armchair, you know, and it was clear with a lot of, you know, bottles around them and they'd been smoking and fallen asleep. And so there were, I will say that as, and I don't want to, for all you firefighters who are listening right now, kid, it was so tough back then. Look, I was on. The, big, the busiest rig in the city went to half the city's fires on any given day. So my, and the other, I was called Rescue 2. And my, um, my training was to rescue in fires and also do any of the rescues necessary in the city. So that meant that I was um, scuba dive. I scuba dive for bodies. Wow. I went with surf rescues. I was trained in any sort of cliff rescue, hazardous materials tunnel confined space you know we were sort of the batman we did we did it all so we were also dispatched rescue one and rescue two i was on rescue two to any fire in the city at the time that was in our half so i mean i mean i had a 24-hour shift where i went to three greater alarms in 24 hours kids that doesn't happen these days because uh, real estate in san francisco is um pretty valuable and the building codes have really tightened 
we did a lot of really exciting medical calls too, you know, and I find medical calls incredibly, they make you really think, I mean, you really need to bring up things like compassion, things that you're not specifically trained for, but are incredibly appropriate for really taking full advantage of being a first responder, which is such an intimate experience where you go into people's homes at the worst day of their lives and help. Mm. Uh, so yes, it was exciting physically. Like I, I don't want to sound like uh, someone you don't want to hang out with when I say this. Firefighters will understand when I say we love going to fires. Like I loved going to fires. I also was really intrigued by medical calls because, again, I think they made me a better person. And that's a, like you said, that's a skill set you aren't necessarily trained to have to deal with, but it's it's part of the reality of it. I know, what, what would you say just on the the general culture of of firefighting? Something that was missing, like what is it that personal uh the personal skills that might not always be there with a lot of firefighters was there anything unique you brought you thought or 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 challenges you saw i was super fit i'd been a rower at stanford i had been already very steeped in understanding fear and walking the line of risk because i had been a whitewater rafter on a team that went around the world doing first ascents i was already a pilot um i was in my 20s, I was in tip-top shape. Yeah, that's pretty badass. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not saying that I came fully prepared to be a firefighter, but I really saw incredible acts of bravery when I was there from really decent men, people who really were super smart, the people I worked with. You know, they were not, they were not happy that women were coming in. I was the 15th woman to come into the San Francisco Fire Department, and there were 1,500 men. And you know what? I understood. I got it. Like they had never seen women play sports because really Title IX only came in in 1972. And a lot of these guys were in their 50s. You know, it was unheard of. So a woman fit enough to do this very difficult job was very unusual. And it is unusual. It's a very, very hard job physically. And I never took that for granted and understood that in some ways I had a disadvantage in that way, but it could be an advantage because I learned to look at every situation, understanding my own limitations. And I think I saw a lot of times some big, big guys not understanding their limitations. For instance, wailing at a door with an ax where I'd had a pry bar, look in the stairwell where the smoke is starting to fill up and we're waiting for him to get this door down. And I'm thinking, I never would have tried that. I'm strong, but I'm not that strong. I would have immediately popped that door with a pry bar and gotten it open a lot earlier than him. So, you know, there were definitely physical limitations to understand. But, you know, as long as you could, you know, had the right mindset, the bravery and the physical fitness, this was a a great and it was a great job for me. What was it like to have your career cut short from knee problems? And also, you know, what, what were you going through at that time? Because because it, it's from the sounds of it, it wasn't something you wanted to stop doing. No, I fell in a fire and, you know, because there was a li- I felt a lot of pressure not to be injured, not to show an injury. And also, frankly, it was snowboarding season when it happened. Um, I was paragliding a lot. It was like I didn't want to go off duty because when you go off duty, you can't do anything, of course, because you're hurt. So I ignored my knee. And I really needed surgery and I ignored it for a year. And that set off a cascade of injuries that I would, you know, I, I, <laughs> I regret so much. Um, and eventually it just became stupid to, um, I remember I was carrying this woman down the stairs and she was very, very light, very light. She was 98 years old actually. <laughs> and, uh, but my knee was super swollen and I was, uh, using the wall as sort of friction to make sure I can make the next step. And I realized, okay, look, your job, you have a lot of responsibility. Stop being so macho and go off duty and get your surgery done. And by then, honestly, it was, it was late. It was late. What were you, what was going through your head during that time when you, when you had to stop performing your duties as a firefighter where you're like, now what, you know, I, I know journalism was one of those ideas. I know you were writing, you had told a story at that point kind of what was going through your head and I, I'm sure the, the whole idea behind this book Tough Bride the, the idea of aging itself was probably just part of this like tell us about that 
Oh, well, funnily enough, so I was 40 when I had my knee replaced, which is was is considered quite young at the time. So I feel like at 60 now, I'm in much better shape than I was at 40. I was on crutches for, I think, 10 separate times in 12 years, long stretches for surgeries. I had so many. And uh, so I'm in much better shape now. So I never thought of it as aging back then. I just thought of it as stupidity, or I don't know if I put it together then. I think of it now as I was just dumb. I was way too macho, like, I'm not hurt. I, I think like any athlete who has to retire or quit their job for injuries, quit their, their sport for injuries, I fell into a huge depression. I hadn't realized how much firefighting was an identity of mine. I was like, oh, that's, I'm simply someone who does firefighting. I'm not a firefighter. But the truth was, it was like something had been amputated when I left. And it took me a while to get back on my feet. And I did become a writer. I, I joined a writer's community group called the Writer's Grotto. And seeing people around me writing and publishing was a way to get back into belonging to something bigger, like the fire department offers. And also, I think there's something about writing that excavates something in you. You have to face yourself a lot when you write, just as you do as a firefighter. I found that when I was a firefighter, I really had to face like who I was, like, was I actually compassionate enough to that person that had that we had to go to three times after midnight because they OD'd each time? Hmm. Uh, probably not. And I had to you have to look deeply at yourself. And same thing happens with writing. So I think I it took me a while, but I um, became a writer. I've now published seven books. And then I also started embracing other th things that would appeal to my adventurous side. Um, I had already been, I was already paragliding, but I transitioned into flying uh, experimental trikes, hang gliders with motors. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of expeditions like sea kayaking through Belize, Croatia. I uh, was mountain biking, uh, doing bike packing, I guess they call it now. Yeah. We just called it bike long distance with stuff on your bike. Yeah, bike packing's <laughs> a little shorter, but yeah, I agree. It's been, I've taught others that have been doing it. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's bike packing. You just didn't have the word for it then. I picked up surfing, which I am still not good at because my knees are so sort of I'm mm. sort of stiff. I look like Gumby, but I really in the ocean. Yeah. So I mean, there was a way that I transitioned and I could keep those aspects of adventure and exhilaration but I was no longer a firefighter. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode identity reinvention i'm sure that was uh you know you had the pressure the added pressure of being a woman and and i did you see any progress in that since in the 14 years of more acceptance of females in these roles like did you see more of that in other part maybe not in your area but other part i don't know did you see any progress at all oh yeah for sure progress i i don't it's hard for me to to pronounce you know things uh better or because it's only my minute perspective and of course people around me you know weird things happen like I remember somebody some guy heard I was a firefighter and he suddenly challenged me to an arm wrestling <laughs> but you know what the crazy thing was and you know, usually men will beat women but he was about 20 years older than me and sadly he lost which was I, was, I just thought why would you why would you do that you don't why would you? Why would you put? What, what could you possibly be proving if you it's beat me? And then, <laughs> uh, the, uh, it was just the dumbest stakes in the world. And now I see CrossFitters. I mean, the women of CrossFit. I mean, they would just—they'll—they'll they'll completely blow away like so many of uh, the men in whatever they were challenged to an arm wrestle. So yeah, I mean, definitely things have changed in terms of the expectation of what women can do, which is great. And, you know, more importantly, I think we have changed about our expectations of what we ourselves can do. Well, well, well take us, you know, you were obviously very adventurous, have done tons of different things. You just listed a bunch, but I know that, you know, it's a book's worth of stories. When did the idea of, of, of aging with adventure come about? And, and, and that's actually a topic I love talking about on this show because it's always, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic here because I, a lot of people listen to this show to inspire them to do, be more adventurous. And I think a lot of people have this thought, well, I missed it when I was in college, those, those free years. My next chance is retirement. But will my body be able to do what I wanted to do? I, I think there's a lot of misconception about it. And I was really excited to talk about this story because it sounds like you wanted to write the book because not enough conversation was going on about this. Um, tell us about kind of the idea behind this and why dedicate an entire book to to telling these stories. Well, I was 50. I was sort of in my mid 50s and looking around and I didn't see women doing the things I was doing. So I was surfing. I'm not a good surfer, like I said. You're better than me. Because <laughs> you don't surf at all. That's probably the only. No, I don't surf at all. Co Gulf Coast of Florida, not known for the surf. I can paddle, Mason, because I learned in this just burly, burly waves out here on the coast of California. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all I learned was how to paddle really well. So I could go out in big things. I just scratch over the wave and then wipe my brow and be like, okay, didn't get it. But that was fun. So I was in, I was actually in the water looking around and, and realizing there's men who are older. They were in their seventies still surfing. And I didn't see any women. And I knew that there were still women who were way better than me that would, if, if they got in the water, they, they would just, yeah, they would be way better. They could totally handle what I was doing. And so it puzzled me. And I was on, you know, riding around on my one wheel and uh, didn't see any my age sometimes I saw an older man but very rarely and as well as flying there aren't that many women there are more and more thank goodness but still it's a you know I think it's definitely under 10 percent of women who fly I can't remember the percentage but it's it's I have it somewhere but at my airport there's a experimental planes and there's a bunch of us and there's another woman she's badass she's my age but really still very how come there aren't you know 50 percent 
So, and I started thinking about my own future, like, wow, maybe I should pull back a little, maybe I, and so this book really tough broad is a quest. It is a quest. My other books, I think I was saying something, but here I'm actually asking questions. And my questions are about, my question is, is outdoor adventure good for us? I had a feeling, of course, that it was being an enthusiast and someone who had really blossomed under adventure. So, but I really wanted the science and I wanted the psychology. I wanted to really look into it. And the, one of the reasons, let me say that I, I actually looked also around and saw that my friends were very much sad about aging. I mean, they were talking about, lamenting about it all the time. And I didn't feel that way. I have to say that I had a mother who blossomed after 40. Uh, she divor divorced my dad and kind of started a new life and was super happy. And then at 50 again, and then 60 again, when she picked up bicycling. And so I had a really good role model and a really good subliminal message basically about aging, but all around me, the women in particular, and I know you probably have male listeners too. And I didn't write about aging, men aging, just because I didn't think that I was the right person. But of course, outdoor adventure is going to be good for them. But their messages, the subliminal messages men get as they age are way different from the ones women get. So I can't speak to the ones men get. I can postulate what they might be, but I'm very clear on what women are told, which is basically that we are on a decline. You know, our looks are fading. Our reproductive use is gone. Our, um, we're not no longer interesting. We're cognitively, you know, also fading probably. Uh, basically, you'll hear women say this, I feel invisible to the culture. We are not valued in this culture as we age. It's, and you ask anybody who's certainly a, sometimes over 40, which is sad, but definitely 50, 60. And I had a sense, and I actually did a lot of research. And again, when I went on my adventures, was very interested in finding out about how does outdoor adventure, how is that a rebuke to all this subliminal messaging? How does it serve as an antidote for us women to break out of that and really begin to do the things that we know we can do? What did the research say? Fascinating. It basically says that your outlook on aging predicts your future. So if you have a negative outlook on aging, the studies are showing that you have an earlier risk of cardiac arrest, earlier risk of, of cardiac, uh, excuse me, of cognitive decline, um, and the opposite is true. If you have an optimistic view on, on your own aging, that you will have uh, a way more vital and healthy life. And you'll live seven and a half years longer. And I, those years are good years. Hmm. So that was fascinating to me because I've been very interested since my last book, uh, one, of, one of my last books, The Gutsy Girl, where I really looked at the subliminal messaging that we give girls to pull back and embrace fear rather than bravery. Uh, now I was looking at this other type of messaging about you know, how bad aging is. And I kind of didn't believe it, again, because of my mom, but also because look at us, we're still physically healthy. I am at 60 uh, and more healthy, right, <laughs> than I was in my 40s. And um, we're at this juncture where we've got all this great life experience. And also for women, our hormones have changed. So, and this is actually uh, on a hormonal level, our perspective has changed where we're turning away from taking care of others, which we did, and which is beautiful. But now we're looking more to ourselves. And that's not just emotional, it is hormonal. Um, and uh, so that was all fascinating to me. And I had a feeling that outdoor adventure would be a great arena in which to find ourselves. Tell, tell me more about that hormonal change. Is that strictly mostly a, a, a woman's change going through versus a man? And what, what kind of uh, abilities does that bring, that change? You said it, it moves away from more of a nurturing role. Do you feel like that's more, like what, what role does that play? That's interesting. Well, so yeah, it's super interesting. And look, the, the, the idea of male menopause is still up in the air from what I understand. Like I'm sure there, of course, there's hormonal changes for men, but I don't know them exactly. I wish I did because I love my guy friends and I would love to have conversations about all this. 
it seems to be a quite a closely guarded secret among you guys, which by the way, menopause and perimenopause was among women for a very long time until really the past like five years, I've seen a surge in conversation. And it's really important because the changes are, um, they're like kind of going through teenager pu puberty the other way. I mean, our hormones are going up and down. That's perimenopause. Luckily, my identical twin told me when I was like crying abruptly that, hey, Hey, you're, I think you're going through perimenopause. So now at least I could be like, okay, I get it. And, but for many people, so then when you reach menopause and you were, we were taught, oh, that just means we no longer have our pesky period, which always got in the way as an outdoor adventurer, right? As a woman. Now we don't have it. So yay. But of course, there's all these other interesting gifts that happen. And one of them is that the hormone, and I, I'm not a scientist and I did do, I, I read a book called The Upgrade by um, Brizadine. Brizadine is her last name. I want to say Lorraine, but I might be wrong. But anyway, it's very easy to find The Upgrade. And she talks about the hormonal changes that women go through. And of course, you know, we have these caretaking hormones that mean that we are the caregiver for our kids, for our partner, for many people at our jobs, um, in our lives. That's a big part of who we are. And as the those ebb with menopause then it's not that we don't have that ability to connect with people anymore at all it's just that it's changed and those changes are fascinating and i think for each of us of course they'll present differently and this is a time to figure it out and that's why i think that the proving ground out going outside is great for figuring that out for really as my, I, one of the things I did in my book uh, was look at novelty and how learning something new is really good for the brain, because of course, we're worried about our brain as we age. And I went and learned how to fly a gyrocopter. Um, it was a big departure, even though I was, had been a pilot for many years, it was a very different craft. So it was a challenge. Um, but Britta Penka, who taught me, was herself 55. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm 57. Is, is this really, am I going to be able to learn this really crazy, like helicopter looking experimental aircraft? And she's like, oh, you know what? Actually, it's a great time to do it because it, for a lot of women, and again, she didn't know the hormonal thing. This was just intuitive for her. She's like, it's now me time. Like we can now concentrate more on ourselves. So you're going to be a great student and a oh, great student. No. I'm I was an average student, like I was, frankly, with everything. But I, honestly, I did learn better old when I was older than when I was younger. I my brain was definitely more of a sponge back then, but I, it wasn't also cluttered with that need to prove myself, that need to look really cool, and you know, get the concept really fast, and don't ask those questions because you don't want to look dumb. Like that's all gone when you're 57. So <laughs> you stop caring. You're like, yeah, I, yeah. I, we were just. I was just talking about that with my wife. That uh, just stop caring at a certain age. And my mother-in-law, who's over a lot, and uh, it sounds like a great liberty to not care if i'm cool or not when doing something just ask the question i need to know ask yeah. the question and now i can say <laughs> and it's not my fault that i don't care it's my phones have changed i just don't care <laughs> wow that's that's really cool so what what uh you know you're obviously wanting to know like hey what what does adventure look like as we age what are what are some of the things that we can do and some of the ways we can benefit where did you go to get these stories were these people on the internet sharing this stuff did you have to ask around like where did you find the the, the everywhere that you talked to it everywhere was hard yeah well it was hard because i think and this isn't a knock on men but they tend to tell us all the world about what they're doing. And I actually appreciate that because I love watching them huck themselves off cliffs and in their wingsuits. But you get a sense like, where are the women? They're not doing any of this. Well, the truth is, okay, they're still not doing it as much as we should, but there were more out there than I thought. And that was really eye-opening for me. So I basically went on the internet. I told people I was writing this book. People gave me names. And I did, a, I went on a variety. It, this is not a book about biographies of women who do cool things after a certain age. This is a book about fulfilling aging and how outdoor activities can fit into that and why the science, the psychology, the emotional aspects. Um, 
but I wanted a range of outdoor activities. And I also didn't want these, always these incredibly high adrenaline adventures because I knew that that wasn't for everybody. And I started to realize that the definition of adventure is more important than the actual activity. So adventure gives us exhilaration. It pushes our comfort zones. It's an exploration. We are, we're on a quest, you know, all these aspects of adventure. So that could fit flying a gyrocopter, but it also fits learning to swim. So, or bird watching. I was going to say bird watching was the other example, which I, that's kind of more my pace. You know, I'm, I'm a bird lot of bird watching and, uh, are you a bird watcher, Mason? When I, I can hardly set a goal out in nature because I have to stop and look at every little animal and saunter, basically. That's the goal, is to saunter. But you, Mason, but that's I mean, adventure to me. Well, that's what I learned. Like, I have to say that I went into my, I met with Virginia Rose, who she is the head of this um, organization called Birdability, which brings people with disabilities out into nature to bird watch because she became an avid bird watch a bird watcher in her 40s uh and she was a firecracker but she'd been in a wheelchair since she was 14 and noticed like there's all these walking people as she called us but where are the people in wheelchairs and birdability actually expanded to other disabilities like autism or or hearing or uh but at the time she's like you guys don't understand us in a wheelchair like a a simple grade that you don't even notice is really hard for someone in a wheelchair or you know the, the stones pinging on the wheels means we can't hear birds so parks don't um have the, they they don't work for us like they might work for you so she birdability actually did this great crowdsourcing um thing where they ask people to rate parks and talk about it from the perspective, for instance, of someone in a wheelchair or someone who has COPD and needs to sit a lot. Are there benches? Uh, it was a completely different way to be outside and amazing. Um, but I went on this uh, birdathon with her and have to say that I had never birded. Uh, I was, I love birds as a pilot, but I, I kind of thought I'd be bored. Honestly, I was almost like, yeah, I'm going to, include this as a in air quotes adventure <laughs> but a little bit in my heart I was like yeah that's not an adventure <laughs> and then I went and I went because I was interested in how we can adapt our outdoor activity to suit whatever physical situation we're in but I came away with such a wider appreciation of bird watching as an adventure as a real adventure because it had the whole rhythm of adventure it had it had the exhilaration, it had the quest, it had the long stretches of boredom that are also synonymous with adventure. Um, yeah, I was, it had the physical vitality because you're outside in whatever weather, whatever conditions. Uh, for us, we got up at dawn, before dawn to see the dawn chorus, hear the dawn chorus, excuse me. It was eye-opening for me, Mason. Wow, that's cool. I mean, it's a setting of adventure. That's where adventure oftentimes happen is nature you know not always of course you know if you're in an urban setting you can obviously have an adventure but it's it's nature and uh so whether you're flying through it running through it or sitting there looking it, it's a lot of the elements are the same it's more similar than it's different you know right right and you know i think that i did a lot of research on the physiology of being outside because i wanted it to be outdoor adventure i mean i guess you could have an adventure on a climbing wall inside for sure but True. outdoor adventure specifically, biologically, is really good for our well-being. And there is lots of science on birdsong, on the chemicals coming from trees, on the meditation of uh, walking through um, a, a landscape where it's not hard-edged architecture, but rounded shapes, stuff that kind of blew my mind. But it is well-documented that being outside is key to our well-being, physical as well as emotional. And, and I think I read that one of the important aspects of adventure, no matter how that is, is awe, is just being awed in the setting, awed by what you're doing, whether that's in the, a pipe of a wave while you surf or by a bird on a branch. And so I'm sure you saw awe in many different facets. So awe was something that I was not well schooled in, to be honest. And it's recently, since the book, since I finished the book, really come into the public consciousness, I think, in ways that are so great. Uh, 
But at the time, I didn't know there were studies on this concept of awe. Awe has always been something, you know, that that we relate to a, a religious experience. And but I actually and in recent years, I have to say that this ties in, but I had become, you know, sort of that a little bit more someone who I realized wasn't as into the adrenaline. Like I hadn't, I wasn't into scaring the pants off myself anymore. So when I flew, for instance, and got into some really rough air, I can't say that I loved it. Yeah. I used to kind of love it. And so I, I was a little bit embarrassed by this. I thought maybe I was getting older and more boring, but I was still doing adventures. It just, I was very aware that there was been this subtle shift but I couldn't figure out what was shifted to. I just knew that I wasn't that daredevil. I, I didn't think of myself that way. And I came upon this woman named Cynthia Hicks, who was 71 and went wing walking. Now, wing walking is this really obscure situation. A lot of people haven't heard of it. I don't blame them. I knew of it because, of course, I knew about the barnstormers back in the 20s when wing walking was huge, where people would uh, you know, transfer midair from wing to wing on two planes or from a car on the ground to a wing. <laughs> they did all these barnstorming shows. Uh, but that faded and nobody does it anymore. Uh, there's one wing walking school in the United States that I heard about from this woman, Cynthia, because I saw her video of her wing walking. And I have to say, so I, inter- I called her, I, I had to call her. And I, she said, oh, you won't, she explained to me that she had come upon this by simply typing in the internet when she was traveling in Washington state, something fun to do here. And she found wing walking and she loved it. And she said, you can't imagine the courage that you suddenly surges in yourself when you get up on that wing. And I thought, oh God, no, well. I can, I can, but I can't enough. I guess I'm going to have to go do it for the book after. And I wasn't that happy about it because, you know, I'm not that devil anymore. And I'm a pilot. I was like, why am I getting out of a perfectly good good cockpit onto a wing? So I went and, you know, kind of reluctantly to do it so that I could write about Cynthia and this idea basically of doing something once that's exciting and puts your comfort zone and how that might change you. And I get there and I go up in the, we take this class, Mason wing walking for all of you who want to do it. And I, even when I'm in the air, I'm like, why am I doing this? And the moment comes where I'm supposed to get up on the wing and I stand up and the wind hits me. I'm like, what? They didn't tell us it's at 3000 feet in the air. So a lot of things were, I was thinking, this is stupid. And I sort of walk all the way to the king post and attach myself, which is what I've been trained to do. And then the pilot begins the hammerheads and the barrel rolls. And it was amazing. I was immediately transported. And plus my brain was completely blown, which I later find out is a key element of awe. Because I came off that wing like, wow, I'm feeling something. And it, of course, is completely awe, I guess, struck, awe, overwhelmed. I don't know what the, the word would be. And I, re- I started doing research on it. And I can't remember how I actually made the connection. Like, oh, my God, that, I was feeling awe. Maybe because I just couldn't explain it. It was like a religious experience. It was like seeing something I mean, my brain basically could not hold on to what I was doing up there in the middle of the sky, doing barrel rolls attached to a wing. And that uh, is awe-inducing. Of course, now, you know, there's, there's smaller ways to induce awe, like you said, and bird watching, going on walks outside, all that can induce awe. And awe is really good for us. It reduces inflammation on a physiological level. But it also uh, changes our perspective, a more optimistic, compassionate perspective in the world that studies have shown. And so awe is implicit to outdoor adventure. If you, as they say, you know, access that childlike wonder in yourself, like we do when we see that bird that we were, you know, looking for. 
Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. With any adventure, hydration is very important. I've been on so many trips where I've been dehydrated or couldn't stay hydrated enough, and Element helps anyone including especially adventurers, stay hydrated. Without the sugar and other dodgy ingredients found in in popular electrolyte and sports drinks, you don't want to have cramps and headaches and fatigue and brain fog or weakness on trips, whether that's training or out on the adventure itself. And having the ability to have something like Element there is so important. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix free of all the sugar and artificial coloring. Element was developed by former research biochemist Rob Wolf, two times New York Times bestselling author, and one of the Navy SEAL Resiliency Committee members for over a decade. From Olympic athletes, to special forces, to health experts, to business leaders, to everyday health, Element is their go-to choice for hydration. Our listeners can receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you go to drinkelement.com slash adventure sports. That's drinklmnt.com slash adventure sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, give it away to a friend and they'll give you your money back. No questions asked. I've been using it on rides and paddles lately and I'm really enjoying it. Element, stay salty. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. I'm a big NBA fan, so I might be getting in on the action with some NBA games this playoff season. Prize Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including California, Texas, and Georgia. Testing your skills on Prize Picks this season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into 1000 with just a few taps. It's really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Download the app today and use ASP for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the Prize Picks app today and use the code ASP for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. What kind of doors only open for us as we age that our younger selves can't really tap into from an adventure point of view? I know awe might be part of that. I know maybe from just a time of life, like you said, not being able, not being caretakers or, or taking care of children. What what kind of doors did you notice that like, wow, that's only going to happen as I get older? Well, I found that I'm having more fun in my adventures. So I used to go all the all around the world doing things like, for instance, you know, rafting first descents and I sea kayak through, you know, the Aegean Sea, the first sea kayakers that turns out the three of us were wow. in Croatia to, to do these islands. Nobody had ever done sort of these overnight. We didn't know that. But when we got there, yeah, it was a fairly, you know, newly freed from war country and outdoor adventure was not a concept for them. So, you know, being the first to kayak there and being the first to mountain bike in the Bolivian Andes way back in the eighties was a thrill. It was all kind of about the metrics. Like, it's not like I boasted about it, but there was something external about my adventures. There was something removed from really who I was that I was trying to prove something I, you know, was very caught up in um, the things that we are caught up in when we're young, proving ourselves, like I said, or, or um, finding our identity and, or, or latching on to other people's definitions of how, why we should be having sort of fun. And at this age, I am having so much fun doing what I do because I only do what I want to do or what I'm curious about. I'm not sort of buffeted by the youth sort of angst and you know flailing about trying to find myself and so I think adventure outdoor adventure now just offers so much more it just feels deeper and more satisfying even though the adventures I do are nothing compared like 
no more first descents. You know, I'll get my paddleboard and you know paddle to the Bay Bridge and look around and be completely psyched. Kind of feels like a first descent, but it's not. And that that's my life these days, and I I kind of love it. So you know, we almost get better at tapping into real adventure. It seems like with practice and with experience and in, in life. What what would you say are some other of those big misconceptions that maybe you held or you think that culture holds? when it comes to our ability to adventure as we age? Yeah, I mean, I think that, first of all, very first of all, is I think people don't think that older people, especially older women, want those aspects of adventure. They don't supposedly want to explore. They don't want to push their physical uh, limits. They don't want the exhilaration and fun. Like, we're not fun anymore, supposedly. And that's none of that is is true and i think it really deepens and we can we can actually sort of you know osmos or take we can bleed fun out of so many small things which is not what young people can do so i think youth and youth culture and our culture sort of those attributes are for the young so you're not acting your age if you want exhilaration like when i get on my skateboard that's not acting my age and i guess that's that's not a positive thing. I should be acting. Well, I want to act my age. I'm psyched to be 60. I'm really psyched to be 60. And I'm, I don't want to be younger. And so, uh, but so why not? But why isn't acting my age, like getting on my one wheel? It should be. I love that. So, so what did you notice anything about the the people in your story? What would you say was a common theme that was very different about them versus folks not experiencing these things into their later years what was something that they either experienced in their youth or something they decided to do what was what was making that difference well a lot of these women had started their outdoor adventures later in life which i found interesting i I was looking for a variety some people who for instance like sean brokeman who was a base jumper she actually started fairly late becoming an outdoor adventurer and she did a lot of things she was a snowboarder um, she's a trainer, uh, so she a personal trainer, and she kayaks. She, I mean, she does everything. Uh, but she started later in life, probably because she was. She's one of the reasons is she's African American, and I think in this country we, uh, the outdoor industry has just marketed all their wares to white people. There's a subtle and not so subtle undercurrent of like the outdoors is for white people, not not just white people. You got to be rich and you got to be robust, but definitely white people. So. So, and then here's Sean, now she's uh, 54 and she's a base jumper. She's, uh, uh, she's done heli skiing. I mean, she's an amazing outdoor adventure, but she started late as did a lot of uh, like my, the woman, uh, Vijaya, who I interviewed, who's from India. She lives here in California now, had never had an outdoor life. And she also started, she learned to swim when she was 68 and had, she said the, the, the basically the the breadth of her outdoor experience was badminton when she was young and that was it and so i was i was so impressed first of all that people, these women could take up something so new but what was really became clear to me is that these women were living fulfilling aging rather effortlessly because the outdoor adventures that they picked really did cover a lot of the pillars that we need for healthy and fulfilling aging. We actually need them throughout our life, but they become harder. So what I realized was that community, novelty, uh, health, and purpose was all easily encompassed when you go out and do an outdoor activity. Mm. I mean, there's- happens just without thinking about it. Organically, yeah, yeah, you're getting- all that. I mean, sometimes in different proportions. So when I interviewed Miss Kitty, who's the oldest BMX, female BMX uh, bike racer, she's 74. Um, I went because I was interested in how competitive sports would be, you know, good for our brains, basically, or our personalities as we age might give us some edge. And so she was a BMX bike racer, which is an individual sport, but I completely underestimated how much community she brought around her. I mean, Miss Kitty's famous for one, but she, the connections that she's able to make and the social life she has and that, that deep sense of belonging 
not just a community, but a deep sense of belonging that that is so important for our emotional well-being was something to be found in this individual sport, BMX racing, because the circuit was so um, close and vibrant. And she went all around, you know, the, she lives in Texas, but she went all, all around the, the United States racing on her own with her driving her RV. And Miss Kitty is also, she's African-American and she's become an incredible role model for people of color and women in this rather obscure, but super fun sport of BMX biking, which she taught me, which I'm terrible at, but <laughs> it was really, really fun. That is so cool. Well, 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 let me ask you this, because I know we're almost at time, but the book will be out or March 5th. I see March 5th, 2024. So, and this is what I want to do. My my wife, Emily, who is so great and so much more adventurous than me in so many different ways and so much, you know, more of a badass. How do I support her in a culture that might not always support uh, women who age to be this way and do adventurous things. How do we as partners or brothers or spouses or siblings, you know, children even, how do we support the women in our lives who are aging and to be more adventurous? Because I, I know the desires there, but, you know, there not, might not be a lot of other support in a lot of ways, but how do we be supportive? Yeah, I, I that's, an amazing, that's a great question. I would say, ask them, ask you the women in your life to go outside with you if you are already an outdoors person if you're not an outdoors person which i assume most everybody who listens to your amazing show is because you Either really are do or aspiring great. maybe they're thinking about it or, okay okay well you know saying yes to any uh possible adventure is kind of how you start or like i know someone who's she, again there's cynthia who would write who type in like something fun to do here <laughs> You could be that guy, Mason, who types in something fun to do here and then figure out some cool thing to do together. Um, I would also say that there, I'm interested in the messaging so much, and I'm deeply admiring of the male psyche in this country, of how men, if you talk about messaging, the messaging that men get as in this country is to be brave, to be honorable, to be noble. I mean, there's obviously this all this other stuff, but there's some really great uh, mindsets that men have, but I also see that it doesn't always mesh with maybe an, uh, the messaging that women get and that we've absorbed and that we then express ourselves, the good stuff. Like we tend to look differently at adventure. I think sometimes I don't, to be honest, like often I was the one who was, um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I had the, the messaging of let's go do it no matter what. And that was annoying. And is, I agree, it's totally annoying. <laughs> but, uh, and men would be like, no, I actually, I'm, and I've had men say, look, I'm scared. And I appreciated that now, but at the time I was like, what? Like, <laughs> so there are different ways I think that women ex can express themselves. These are broad generalizations, but as partners, as friends, understand that um, there's a vast way to enjoy an outdoor adventure and that every outdoor adventure, there's a wide breadth of getting the exhilaration and exploration that adventure offers. So some people like me want to, you know, paraglide, but other people want to simply birdwatch, which is great. Nothing. And to be as partners understand what works for the for the person in your life that you want to bring outside with you. Hmm. That makes sense. Or was that a bunch of, that was a bunch of, no, no, I was, I was just kidding. That was great. <laughs> no, it's, it's yeah. I want you to <laughs> no, like in, inviting, like that's, you know, that's with, I I've, I've talked to a lot of friends who are, you know, who are black or, or a minority in the outdoors. And they're like, it starts with invitation. And so I think that's honestly how you break down a lot of barriers into anything new, whether it be, you know, coming into my world or me going into their world, like just an invitation and kind of hold my hand this first experience, sometimes literally, sometimes metaphorically, and just help me break down some of the almost the activation energy of getting out here, some of those fears. And once you realize, oh, that's not actually true or I can do this, 
the momentum of, of that confidence can kind of carry you to, to explore it yourself is what we find. So whether that's camping or, you know, learning a new language, whatever something new is uh, for, for anybody. So well, wh- where would you want to point people to find Tough Broad? Uh, is there anywhere specific or just start Googling away? Just Google away. Okay. I'm, uh, you know, you're, you're basically your independent bookstore. Give them a call, ask them to order it for you. Uh, go to your library. That's cool. Love the libraries. It's everywhere. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us and uh, telling your story and being so cool, doing so many adventures and, and allowing for bird watchers like me uh, uh, a space to also feel good about i know you're you're being very very modest i really appreciate you mason that's really nice uh thanks for having me on i admire your show thank you first of all thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show if you'd like to help us further you can leave a review on itunes share us with your friends your family it goes a long way to grow in the show you can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes and also if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure so if you know someone please reach out email us at info at adventure sports podcast.com and until then get out there and have some fun What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.